Welcome once again this morning. Turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 in your your Bibles. We're going to see here in these verses how God so graciously, if you will, brings the church to everyone, including Providence. This is, aside from Christ, of course, this is how it all begins right here. This is, where, this is where it happens. Stand with me, if you will. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. The coming of the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native tongue, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Let's pray. Dear Father God, thank you so much. First of all, for your son and for this scripture we just read here. Thank you so much for your sovereignty in spreading the gospel, sharing with us a poor, wretched, sinful humanity that desperately we are we're so sick in our own depravity, we don't even we don't even need know how much we need you, dear Lord. Thank you for the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives, to teach us, to help us to grow, to help us to learn and to help us to change more, first of all, to change unto salvation, and after salvation, to live a life that looks more and more like Jesus Christ every day in everything that we do, dear Lord. Thank you so much for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll notice there in, in verse 1 of chapter 2, there's a, there's a lot of really, really neat correlation that happens and goes on here. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all in one place. Some of you might ask, just a little bit of history going through things real quick. Very interesting. What is Pentecost? The word means 50th. Okay, if you think of our, the most, the thing that we're probably most familiar with is you think of our Pentagon, our Ministry of Defense. It is a five-sided building in Washington, D.C. Penta means five. Pentecost means 50th, and what it refers to is what's called the Feast of Weeks or Harvest. This is spoke about, if you're uh, taking notes at all, Exodus 34, verse 22, Numbers 28, 26 through 31, and also Leviticus 23. All three of those talk about this, about Pentecost and what it means. This festival was celebrated 50 days after Passover, so it was usually always sometime in May or June. Interestingly, I did a little bit of research Passover this year was, if you'll remember, was the Saturday before Easter, of course. If you remember in the Jewish calendar, they celebrated the Sabbath on Saturday. So this year, 2012, it was April 7th, 
the day before our Easter, which was April 8th. Now, if you count 50 days, Pentecost this year would have been Sunday, May 27th. That was the, uh, most of you are probably, a lot of you are probably gone. That was the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. So Sunday, May 27th, 50 days after Passover, was Pentecost this year. And the interesting thing, another thing about it, 50 days. So you think about God. This is one thing I want you to keep in your mind today. God in His ultimate sovereignty. Keep in mind, He knows the beginning from the end. You're going to see events in this portion of Scripture that just, it is just amazing. No human could ever put this all into place. It's amazing how He does it. Christ was crucified right before Passover. So Jesus Christ was crucified 50 days after his Pentecost, you're going to see all these events. Don't want to, don't want to go too quick. I get awful excited about this stuff. It's really neat. So we're going, to, we're going to slow down a little bit. But it was one of the three festivals, Pentecost was, one of the three that required, required all of the nation, especially the males, to come to Jerusalem. Very important fact. Keep that in mind. It was one of three festivals required them to come back. Come back home, if you will. Okay? Keep that in mind. Now, we're going to see in verse 5, we'll get to that in just a second, but in verse 5, there's an interesting correlation of how God coordinates things. You don't have to turn there with me, but I'm going to read Luke 24, verse 49. Keep in mind, the same author, Luke, doctor, physician, he wrote the book of Luke and Acts, this book that we're studying today. In Luke 24, 49, this is after Jesus' resurrection, and he's appearing to the disciples, Jesus' words, Luke 24, 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit here. But, key, listen to this. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So, Christ is telling the disciples to stay in Jerusalem. At Pentecost, an offering of what was called the first fruits was left. We hear this... Uh, we hear this saying in our society today, it's, we're supposed to give God what is right, not what is left. little catchphrase there. There's some relevance to that in Scripture. At this festival, the Jews were supposed to bring the first fruits, the best, not what was left over. Keep that in mind, the first fruits. Leviticus 23, specifically verse 20, speaks about that and talks about that. Now, the holy, there's a symbolism here with this first fruits, a couple things. The Holy Spirit came on this day as the first fruits of the believer's inheritance. He's the first thing as far as the believer's inheritance after Christ passed away and went to heaven. Also, think of how those gathered into the church at the very beginning there, 2,000 years ago, were also, they were the first fruits, if you will, of the harvest. Think about the harvest, not in terms of crops, but in souls. We sing, uh, I think it's in the Days of Elijah song, we sing, the fields are white with the harvest. And Christ uses that term in Scripture too. White with the harvest. You see what happens in the world today and how people are eager. We heard an example this morning of at a bank, someone sharing about a son involved in drugs and having trouble and how a fellow believer was able to speak into their lives. The fields are white with the harvest. And that's where we, as the body of Christ, come into that. So think about, think about that as these believers. These are the first fruits. This, these are the disciples and the first believers coming into that full harvest, which will include us as a body of Christ and others. Keep in mind also, 
the disciples were all together in one place, as commanded in Luke 24. Also, if you look just across the page in your Bible, Acts 1, verse 4. And while staying with them, talking about Jesus, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. It's almost the same verse as we just read in Luke chapter 24. So they are not to leave or depart for Jerusalem, but to wait. I don't know about you, Chris has a struggle with waiting sometimes and patience. It's something I desperately need work on, and probably all of us do in our depravity, don't we? But the key here, the disciples listened. They waited in Jerusalem. Verse 2, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. We see Luke using wind to describe God's action, the action of God sending the Holy Spirit. Often wind is used in Scripture as a sign of the Spirit. Ezekiel 37, that's the story of Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones. It's used there. Also John chapter 3, verse 8, it's used again. Wind is used as a sign of the Spirit. Down in verse 3, And divided tongues as... Keep it, look at the words closely here. As of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So first we have wind, and now we have fire. So we have wind, sound, sound like a mighty rushing wind. They could think about wind also today. You could feel it. Now we have fire, as of fire. So keep in mind, this was as of fire. Look what looked like fire. Three of the five senses are being engaged here. You follow what God's doing? The only thing left out is taste, and smell. Three of the five. Feeling, you can feel the wind. Sight, see the fire. And sound, hear the wind. It'd probably be complete overload if God had somehow employed the other two of the five senses. But think about what's going on here and the power, what is happening at this time. As God is, this is where, this is where the church, the turbocharge, if you will, this is where the church, here it goes. And this is what happens. He gives the disciples, God gives the disciples a visible if you will, a visible sign to indicate, indicate and help them comprehend the Spirit's arrival. The Spirit was there in verse 3. Another thing, fire was often used in Scripture as an indicator of divine presence. We see that in the book of Exodus. Exodus 3, 2 and 6, the story about Moses and the burning bush, the holy presence of God. Another time in Exodus, chapter 13, verses 21 and 22, God if you all remember, how did God lead the children of Israel after they came out of Egypt? Cloud by day and what by night? A cloud of fire, a pillar of fire, if you will. The divine presence of God. Such a neat symbolism there in Exodus of God going before, coming before them. There's also a little bit of a parable here. We're not going to read it, but in Matthew 3, 11, when Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist and the dove descending. So God is using these things, visible hearing sound to indicate there's something incredible happening here. Verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Notice the word carefully there again in the Bible. All. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Jump back, just it's probably somewhere on the same page for you. Go back to Acts 1, verse 5, and look at that verse with me, if you will. Acts 1, verse 5. Jesus had just told them in verse 4 not to depart from Jerusalem, 
Now in verse 5. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So first he's talking about not many days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, stay in chapter 1 with me. Go to verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. This is, so it's not just the disciples. There's also a little bit of a group there already formed of believers in Acts 15. So they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this filling with the Holy Spirit, keep this in mind. These were believers already. This is very important because we're going to talk about this in a little bit. These were believers. This filling of the Holy Spirit, this is a repeated reality in our life. It should be. We should be filled with the Spirit as believers on a repeated basis. We should be getting, just like you fill your, think about filling your car up with gas. We should be filled with the Holy Spirit repeatedly, more and more and more. Because this is a sign, we should be controlled by the Spirit. Spirit-controlled behavior, which God, God commands believers to maintain this. I've got a little bit of audience uh, assistance today. I've got some of the youth kids going to read some, uh, some verses. Talking about, talking about the Spirit in these verses. The first one, we're going to have Jenna read Romans 8 verse 16, where it talks about the Spirit. Go ahead. Is the mic on? Mic's not on. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Keep that verse in mind. In a second, second Matt's going to read 2 Timothy 1. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. They should be in conjunction. If there's friction, there's a problem in your life that needs fixing. Isn't there? There's a problem there. Things, aren't, things are budding. It's not working in a believer's life. One thing I want to touch on. We tend to, as Rose shared today about believers in other countries don't pray as we do. We always pray from deliverance from persecution. They pray that they can endure. Sometimes God shows us with rough situations. Had one yesterday during a softball game. Very rough. Very rough situation. God used that situation and in the half hour to an hour after that game, what happened? With talking among believers and praying and crying and sharing. But see, and I was thinking, this is interesting, in, in Chris's life, I was thinking, oh, this is about, this is literally probably the worst softball experience I've had in 30 years of life. Why did I ever agree to even host this tourney? What happened, I don't want to share a whole lot with this, but what happened is, it ended up that next year, Providence is going to have to host the volleyball and the softball tourney. So I was like, sure, we'll host the, the softball. Julie, Julie Nepp from Pleasant View shared that with me. I said, she said, you want to take the softball one? I was like, sure. And so, to do that to help. And what happened with this, and looking at this ugly situation, at the end of the day, when this happened, after it was all over, so amazing how God had taken an ugly situation among believers and had used, shown His grace into that situation in a time of forgiveness, repentance, a lot of, a lot of neat things happen out of that. That's where sometimes there's friction. That's not always a bad thing, if you think about that. If your life is going along honky-dory smoothly, 
The question, just a question, are you doing anything for the kingdom? The devil doesn't have to mess with you at all. You're right in line with exactly what he wants you to do. Amen? It's like, he can leave them alone. Yeah. They're serving themselves. They're not serving me. Let them go. Cool. I'll work on these believers over here. Maybe see if I can get them ruffled up and fired up. So it's interesting how he does that. Matt, if you will, read 2 Timothy 1, 13 to 14. Follow the pattern of the sound. Words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Follow. T- so awesome. Paul, writing to young Timothy, follow the pattern that I have shown you entrusted by the Holy Spirit in there. Last one we're going to have is Josh read out of Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we may become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He saved us because of absolutely nothing we have done or deserved. Not one of us deserves salvation. Not one of us deserves heaven. Every single one of us in here deserves hell. To burn in eternal fire and torment forever. Praise God for His grace. Amen. Because of an eternal hope through Christ Jesus in heaven given to us. Where we are shown by the Spirit our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. And for what was done, the sacrifice made on the cross. We see some other places in Acts, there's a few other verses, where Peter and some of the other believers were, again, filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 4, verse 8 and 31 talk about it. Chapter 6, verse 5. Chapter 7, 55. There's other places where they're, again, filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit uses them and takes them and leads them. As a result of the Holy Spirit, of the filling of it, they, as you see there in verse 4, began to speak in other tongues. Now, very important again here. Speak in other tongues. These were known languages. Okay, keep that in mind. This was not just random babbling. This was known languages. Two things were going on here. Number one, the language, languages were a sign of judgment on an unbelieving Israel. There's a couple verses, we're not going to touch on them, but Isaiah 28, 11 and 12 talks about that. Also, Paul talks about this. Sean will be getting to this uh, here soon in 1 Corinthians 14, 21 to 22, where it's talking about it's, these words are judgment on... Keep in mind, 50 days ago, what had the Jews done with Jesus Christ? Taking Him to the cross. The Messiah, who they've been waiting for for thousands of years, they drug Him to the cross. We know it's all in God's sovereignty and God's plan that that had to happen but keep in mind that's just what they did just soon before that number two the second thing of these tongues is they also showed that from then on God's people would come from all nations this should excite everybody in here because this I don't know if there's anybody in here from Jewish descent is there I don't think this is where we come in praise God for this all nations including Providence Mennonite in Montgomery Indiana people from this area this is where it came the changeover from Israel to the church if you will church with a capital C the body of Christ something very interesting that very important I want to touch on so we don't have any mistake the baptism of the Holy Spirit which is talked about that is a once in a lifetime event when someone is saved when a person is saved you receive the Holy Spirit 
There is a lot of stuff going on around these days that you hear people say, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? Yeah, and someone might answer, yes, I'm a Christian. I'm a no, no, have you spoken in tongues yet? This is a fallacy. It is ridiculous. Okay, and it gets a lot of people off track. I've, t- I've, I've had some pretty heated conversations. Not heated. Eh, yeah, they probably were heated. That was, that was my sinful pride. In, that was my sinful pride right there. You just saw it. Yeah, they probably were heated. I said, have you ever spoken? T- no. I said, that was for a time here in Acts to spread the gospel. Well, you're not truly saved if you haven't spoken in tongues. What, you know, you, did you not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I said, my biggest problem in my life is listening to the Holy Spirit. What about you guys? That's my biggest problem. Not speaking in tongues, but listening to the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Just keep in mind, there is, you might come across this sometime in your life. There are some people out there that believe that unless you have been they call it baptized by the Holy Spirit, and they're talking about speaking in tongues, that you're not saved. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, it's false. Taken to Scripture, here's exactly Acts chapter 2. You can look at this and see exactly what they're talking about at this point right here. Verse 5. Now, here's, you're going to see, verse 5, 6, 7, and 8, you're going to see kind of the puzzle pieces coming together and what God has happening. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews... Keep something in mind here. We're in Acts chapter 2. We're still only in chapter 2. So, the gospel has not come to the Gentiles yet. This is the very beginning of it. We don't hear anything about Saul until chapter 8 of, of Acts and his conversion, both spiritually and then in name. His name isn't changed from Saul into Paul until chapter 9 in Acts. And not until chapter 10 does Peter have his vision of the cloth coming down, where this is God's telling. I'd encourage you to read those chapters if you have time, 8, 9, and 10. This is where, in, verse, in chapter 10, it's where the sheet, if you will, comes down, and all of the unclean, unclean for the Jews at that time, animals, and God tells Peter, rise and eat, and absolutely not. So keep in mind, this hasn't happened yet. 8, 9, we're still in chapter 2. So now that we're dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, very important, Okay? Why? I'm going to do a little bit of refreshing here. Why were the Jews in Jerusalem? Just went over that. Because of Pentecost, the Hebrew males were expected to make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. Remember, once every, uh, excuse me, the one festival three times a year. Three different festivals. They were supposed to come to Jerusalem. So here they were in Jerusalem. Now, the second part of that verse, we don't hear very important also devout men from every nation under heaven all those words are important every word in the bible is important but devout men from every nation under heaven i think there's a specific reason it says devout men because you think about it these would have been men who had made the pilgrimage okay keep that in mind who had made this pilgrimage devout men another thing to think about these men, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but there's no other way to do it here. These men are going to go back. Now, I hate to, I don't know what else to say, but if, if it was the village idiot that was there, nobody's going to listen to him, right? Keep that in mind. It's true. You think about in your life, every day at work, other places, there's certain piece, people you listen to pay attention to, and there's a lot of others that we don't and probably shouldn't. That's a very key thing here. Devout men, these men should be listened to and paid attention to. From every nation under heaven. Imagine that. God has brought all of them to one place, to Jerusalem, for Pentecost, 
And then he sets this all in place with the, for the Holy Spirit to come. Verse 6. Verse 6 kind of goes back a little, jumps back a little to verse 2. And at this sound, so the sound of the mighty rushing wind, they heard that, the sound of the mighty rushing wind, the multitude came together. So they heard the sound, and the entire multitude came together. So now, a little history again. We have devout Jews from every nation. They're already in Jerusalem. Now, here they come together. They're all coming together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Each of the pilgrims, if you will, that had come from other areas to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost heard the language or dialect from his own country. Everyone. A little bit of story for you from, um, from how important this is. From China. When I was in China for a year, there was a time we were in, uh, I was in a town with a lot of my Chinese friends. And someone came up, to, there was not many foreigners in the area I was at, so a white person like me garnered a lot of, un, un, well, in some ways it was good because you could share and things, but a lot of unwanted attention. People come up and start, you know, in Chinese talking. I had no idea what they said. I immediately turned to my Chinese friend and said, what did they say? And this Chinese, my, my buddy goes, I have no idea what they said. I'm like, shut up. You're, you know, I tease a lot, as most of you know, so I'm like, oh, be quiet. What did he say? He said, no, I'm serious. He said, I have no idea what he said. I was like, it sounded just like, he said, I know it does, but he said, in China, he said, there's Mandarin, or Putonghua, which is the national language, which Mao Zedong instituted. The whole nation should know this language. And this friend of mine told me, he said, you're from Indiana in America, right? And I said, yeah. And he, we had a map of Indiana I'd brought. He said, well, check this out. He said, it's just like in China. Think of Indiana. You might have people in Indianapolis speak one, one different dialect. People in Fort Wayne, another one. Elkhart, another one. Lagodi, another one. Terre Haute, a different one. He said, and none of them can understand each other. I was like, really? This is so important in here. They each heard their own language, dialect. Each of them heard this. God made this happen at this time. Everyone Every person, as the multitude came, they all heard in his own language. In their own language. Another thing that's hugely important. Verse 7. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Look at the emotions we have here. Bewildered in verse 6. And then amazed and astonished here. Think about a lot of, a lot of things going on in Jerusalem right at this time. A lot of emotion. Interestingly, in verse 7, a little bit of a, a little bit funny, if you will, are not all these who are speaking Galileans. Galilee was the most rural area around the Sea of Galilee. It was very rural. It was around the Sea of Galilee. Galilean Jews spoke a distinct regional accent, and they were considered a little bit uneducated, unsophisticated from the southern or Judean Jews. If y'all remember, if you're looking... I'm just going to use my hands to signify. Sea of Galilee was up here. The Dead Sea was down here. This is the land of Galilee here. Jesus was born where? Bethlehem of Judea. Judea is in the south, down here by Jerusalem. In between was Samaria. If you think about Christ's ministry, the woman at the well. This is all between the Jordan River, the Dead Sea, the Sea of Galilee. Right over here is the Mediterranean. Okay? Keep that in mind. Where did Jesus do most of his ministry? Not in Judea. Most of the time, he was up in Galilee. Very interesting. God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So these guys are saying, it, you know, not to try to be funny, but the only thing I can think of to say is, you know, today, if we were in Providence, we'd probably say, aren't these all Kentuckians or Pikers? What's going on? 
Seriously? This is exactly what it would be like. So like, are you, are the, what? These are uneducated, unsophisticated, country bumpkin hillbillies from Galilee. What's going on? Why, how are they able to speak? They all heard, keep in mind, all these different languages and all these speaking, speaking like this. Verse 8, And how is it that we hear each of us in his own language? It's hard for us to imagine sitting here in America, but can you, I mean, even fathom this? They're all together. There's the, the number was about 120 of the believers, and then we don't know how huge this multitude was. I'm guessing thousands upon thousands because they were all come to, to share and talk about Pentecost. Okay? Think about that. And they all heard in their own language. Bewildered, bewildered, astonished, amazed. It all makes sense. All those emotions tie in very well with exactly what's happening. What's happening at this point. For verses 9 through 11, Daryl's got We've got a map up here. I want to show you something as we go through these verses. Got something really interesting. I'm going to step down here so I'm out of the way so you can all see. I've got my cheat sheet note card here. I want to show you something as we go through this. Check this out, how awesome this is. If you follow me in verse 9, if I can get my pointer working, there it is. All right, verse 9, Parthians and Medes. Parthia was an area of northeastern Iran. There's, this is a modern-day map, okay? This is 2012. Just pulled it off the Internet. Right there is the area of Parthia, northeastern Iran. Medes, excuse me, Parthians northeastern Iran. Medes were over here in northwestern Iran, excuse me there. And Elamites. Elamites was down here in the south in southern Iran. Going on with verse 9. And residents of Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia in the Greek literally means land between the rivers. What it's, the river's not on here, but it, what it's talking about is the Tigris and the Euphrates here in modern-day Iraq that flows right on the either side of Baghdad. This land was very fertile, so there was some believers from this area also. Mesopotamia, right in here in, in Iraq. Going on. Judea and Cappadocia. We know where Judea was. Right there is Jerusalem. You can see right there, Tel Aviv, excuse, Tel Aviv, southern Israel. This was Judea. And Cappadocia was basically east-central Turkey, right up in here, in this area. Keep going down. Pontus and Asia. Pontus was an area of northern Turkey, way up here. This is the Black Sea, this body of water here. This is Pontus right here in northern Turkey. Asia, at that time, if you see Pontus in Asia, at that time, today, we know of Asia as this area way over here. It includes the Soviet Union, China. In those days, 2,000 years ago, Asia was just considered right in here in western Turkey at this time in, in history. Fergia and Pamphylia. Fergia was between Philadelphia. We don't have these towns on our map, but in, in western Turkey, if you will, right over here, Philadelphia. Fergia was the land between Philadelphia and Laodicea the two, two of the churches that John talks about in Revelation. Pamphylia is south-central Turkey, straight north of... Here's the island of Cyprus. This is Pamphylia right here. So keep in mind, we've basically went so far. We're not done yet. We've went from Iran here all the way over into here. Okay? Keep going. In the middle of verse 10, Egypt, which is right in here. At this time, there wasn't much to the south yet, but Egypt, right in here, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. In those days, Cyrene was approximately right in here. So here's Africa. Here's the gospel heading to Africa. And visitors from Rome. Rome was up here on the coast of Italy, right in that area. Huge metropolitan center. So there was also Jews from there. Both Jews and proselytes. So keep in mind, proselytes 
were people that had come into Jerusalem, foreigners who had come in and possibly had been saved or possibly had not. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. Crete is this island right here off the south. This is modern-day Greece. This is the island of Crete and Arabians. So we have this area of Arabia right in here. Proselytes, Cretans, and Arabians. If you look at this map, no mistakes by God. Here is the gospel exploding onto the earth. There's Jerusalem. The gospel has went every direction. Spoken to these devout men, Jews, in their own language. They have all heard the message of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ came to save sinful humanity, died on the cross, and the need for repentance to turn from their sin and accept Christ as Lord and Savior. Here it is exploding. And interesting, one of the interesting stories I want to share with you that I heard over when we were in uh, Philadelphia, out that way. There is a church, a group of, of a huge church in... I was trying to get the name yesterday and I couldn't. It's either, I don't know if the people group starts with a K or the province in India starts from a K, but there's a group of Christians. The church in India, in South Central India, they can trace... Their lineage, we might say it's a little bit prideful, but they can trace their lineage clear back to Thomas. The Apostle Thomas. So obviously, Thomas, when he left or somehow got over into here, they can trace it clear back to Thomas. Isn't that incredible? Still today. And they're very, this, uh, some missionaries that have been over there said they are, he said it's kind of funny because they're not supposed to have pride. He said they are quite proud of that. They really are. That they can trace that lineage clear back to there. But you look at this, here is the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. Somehow, who know, we don't know how, I guess maybe from Rome, who knows. Somehow this got up into uh, Germany, Switzerland, where most of us background is from. As Mennonites came across the ocean, here we are today. The message of salvation from Jesus Christ through what he's done. Awesome, isn't it? How God orchestrated all these events, lined them up in place, brought everybody to Jerusalem, brought them all, it's so cool, brought them all in, boom, here they go out. And, and no mistakes on this map, every direction. They went this way, they went that way, they went into Africa, they went up to Rome, every direction. Just expanded out with the message of God, the message of the gospel. Now, we see at the end of, the middle of verse 11, the end of it, we see here that they finish, if you notice this quote in your Bible, it's, it's in quotes, it starts clear up in the middle of verse 7, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And here they finish the quote, down here at the end of uh, verse 11. We have this, from 9 through 11a, if you will, we have this roll call of all the places where they went, and then here they see it, they see it finished. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. This was a quoting from the Old Testament of what God has done for His people. We see it throughout the Psalms, Psalm 40, verse 5, Psalm 77, 11. There's all sorts of verses of what God has done for His people. Now, think about this, though, this specific Pentecost, the beginning of it. What has God done for His people? At this point, 50 days earlier, He brought the promised Messiah... Because we, 2,000 years later, have the privilege that I don't know how, how it caught on with the Jews at that point. The whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament, the perfection of God's law, and the complete imperfection of humanity to try to hold into that law 
how it was not working, God had to send the perfect sacrifice, which he did. So, I like to take verse 11. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. What is the mightiest work of God? That he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for me and for you, and that we have an eternal hope in heaven. And the encouragement that I want to want to leave with you today is, are you sharing that? Are you listening? I've got a verse up here. I've got a verse Daryl's going to bring up here on the map. We've got another verse. This is a, a verse I want you to, to take with you um, as you leave today. Anybody see anything desperately wrong with that verse? I didn't put the scripture on it for, on, for a reason because I don't want to be changing the Bible in any way. Unfortunately, that's how Chris lives most of his life. What about you guys? Isn't it? That's how we live. Like I shared with you about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, my biggest problem is listening to the Holy Spirit. Be slow to hear, quick to speak, quick to be angry. Isn't that what we do most of the time? Thank God for His grace and His sending of the Holy Spirit to change us. Go ahead and just leave that up there, Daryl. Anybody know where this is? This is actually James chapter 1, verse 19. I'm going to read it for you. What I did is took it and just turned it around. Because that's the thing I want to leave with you today. Be filled with the Holy Spirit daily. Take the time. Take the effort to do that. Like we heard today from Shannon, let God use you at your job, at your work, at home, at sewing, at Walmart, at the gas station, wherever it is, to speak into someone's life. You're, you're only, perhaps your only goal or God's only plan for you is to have you take someone that much closer to Jesus. You may never see someone turning from a complete sinner or heathen to complete salvation and a life turned around. Your job, my job, might be to take someone that much closer to God. That little step closer. Let me read James 1.19 for you. Basically, it's just what I wrote up here, turned around. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So quick to hear, that's the quickness. Be slow to speak and slow to become angry. And listen to the Holy Spirit, that voice prompting you, using you to share the gospel. Let's pray. Dear Father God, thank you so much. I thank you for what you did at Pentecost, Lord, that you brought salvation to us, to us in America, dear Lord, that you spread it out. We see how the gospel went. I just pray that you'd help us to continue with that trend, Lord to just share the gospel, to speak into people's lives, to pray for each other. Lord, I know there's people here hurting today. I know the enemy is, enemy is hard at work. He's battling. He's, he's warring. He doesn't want to see... He wants to see us as Christians look as foolish as we can, and he wants to retard and stop the spread of the gospel. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want to see repentance. He wants to see pride and arrogance and sinfulness and a haughty spirit. He doesn't want to see humility. He doesn't want to see us living as a body of Christ, intertwined together and joined in together, dear Lord. Thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for Christ. I pray that you'd help us as the body here at Providence to live out your calling in everything we do, that we would take the gospel, speak it into people's lives, and that you would be glorified through that, dear Lord. Thank you so much for your grace. And I just pray for a better listening ear for each one of us in everything we do. Thank you again, dear Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.